Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Say Who, Say Pod. He is Danny O'Neill. I'm Christian Capel. Uh, Washington signed several high school players on early signing day. We'll get to all that. Danny, have you have you ordered your Caleb Presley jersey yet? I know I know how how much you look forward to signing day every year. So I did notice that one, and when I saw it, I was like, "This is this, this gives you a great idea of the extent to which I follow recruiting." It was like, "Oh, is that the guy that was going to go to Oregon?" And then I looked, and his hometown was listed as Federal Way. And so I was like, oh, maybe it's a different player. And then I looked it up. I'm like, no, it is the guy that was going to Oregon. And so I thought, like, good. That's a positive sign. And I saw some of the other kids that are that that, that had announced and, and Kalen DeBoer's retweeting them, and I was excited for them. But, yeah, I try to stay out of sort of the the every quarter turn of the screw in the in the recruiting saga not because i don't think it's important i do think it's important i just think from my experience as a fan it doesn't make me enjoy the team or the games more to follow it at that level are you one because this is it's interesting to me because i'm you know my only engagement with recruiting is covering it for people who obviously do pay very very close attention to it and care about it a lot do you engage with it in any way? Is there ever a time where you look at Washington's recruiting class and think, well, gosh, they don't have very many blue chip guys or, wow, they're not rated very high. I'm a little bit worried about the future of the program. Or is it as simple as, you know, you'll you'll worry about the preseason prognostications and look at the roster and, and kind of base your opinion of where they're at as a team talent wise on what they've got, you know, who who has done what on the field, who's coming back, who they've added from other teams. Where Where are you at with like, Oh, either the sky is falling or, oh, you should expect really big things because of where their recruits are rated. I try to be very big picture in which so I and this will actually be a great test because we'll see how good of an understanding I have of the broad sketches of their recruiting. I pay attention to where they rank overall nationally and within the conference. Like, I, I think I have a decent idea there. And if it's too far one way or the other. If there's an outlier. And if it's worse than I think it should be, I generally think Washington should have a recruiting class that's between 15 and, say, 40 on the national rankings with the little different star metrics and all of the things they use. And I'm not someone who gets real bent out of shape about, like, oh, these recruiting analysts don't know what they're talking about. I think they actually do a really good job in the same way that I think draft Knicks do a really good job of summarizing, like, the the sort of the scouting profile of these available players. So my sense of it is that Washington is is right about in that middle of the range that that I described, that kind of 15 to 40, that they're probably like mid to high 20s. And they're in the upper half of the Pac-10 or Pac-12. They're probably three or four. Oregon, I know because of the reaction yesterday, had a number of big quote-unquote flips even though Presley ended up going to to Washington and there's the feeling that they've done well. I know that Colorado got the kid from Jackson State, the two-way player, the the five-star wide receiver that was there. But I I don't I'm not someone who says that oh, the recruiting class this year is 38 instead of 21 and that's a really bad sign for where this program is headed. I don't I do not like buy into it at that granular level. So since I woke up this morning, and we are recording this on Thursday morning after signing day, two pieces of news have come down. Uh, the first was that Washington has added what it had been looking for, I think, in the portal all along, an experienced cornerback, Jabbar Muhammad from Oklahoma State, uh, played 832 snaps this year on defense in 12 games, second most on Oklahoma State's defense. Uh, PFF seemed to like him. I know how much you love PFF. He was he was graded well on PFF. He was their top cover guy, uh, and I think their third highest rated defensive guy. And I believe he was he was honorable mention all Big Twelve. So um, two years of eligibility left for him. Got to imagine he'll compete right away for a starting job. Uh, and then uh, a, a piece of news I think will be more celebrated uh, than that. Even Jalen McMillan announced he's coming back uh, for his what will be his fourth year junior season. In 2023, I didn't think there was a ton of doubt about him. Romo Dunze is the one I think everyone is still kind of waiting on. In fact, the only the only one everybody's waiting on at this point. 
Um, but certainly good news for the offense to have Jalen McMillan officially back in the boat and know that at least you're getting half of that uh, thousand yard duo back, if not both of them. The number of guys who have returned. I mean, you look at it and as you said, kind of Roma Dunze is kind of the one that's a question mark out there of like, would he is he's basically the last guy that you'd wonder, is he going to end up choosing to leave early? It, you definitely get the sense that there's a lot of players that see that they have a lot to play for this season that they want they want another they want to go at it that they think they can they can win the conference championship and that they can get to the college football playoff at least that's how I see the breadth of these decisions whether it's the left tackle the two defensive ends in trice and ZTF uh, or and most recently Jalen McMillan because I'm not I'm not surprised with McMillan um and actually, the Pac-12 coaches might have done Washington a favor by not choosing him as one of the all-conference and making him honorable mention. Yeah, who even I, is this guy? <laughs> like, dude, like that's that, of all the different things on that. Like that's that's one of them. I think I think he might have gotten a "We're not going to give everything to DeBoer in his new offense" vote, and and Jalen McMillan's the one that got got snubbed on that one because if if I was him, he was he was definitely one of the four best receivers in that conference this year. I think for a school like the University of Washington, because it's not always this way if they're not winning and and performing at a high level and producing and those sort of things, all you can ask for is that you be the type of program where there are far more people trying to get in than get out, and that's where they are right now. I think it's becoming more that way in recruiting. You saw an uptick this year uh, from a ratings perspective. You know they, they had five blue chip guys. I think ideally going forward. You would expect them to to be maybe double that based on, you know, if they continue winning this way, that's probably where they're going to need to be at to to maintain this this level that they they put forth this year. But, you know, in in the portal, the guys who have left so far are are all, you know, non-contributors who, if they want to play college football, they're they're probably going to need to leave and go somewhere else. We'll see how that sort of shakes out post-bowl and in the spring. You know, there's a couple different transfer windows, so... Um, it's, you know, it's, they need to have some attrition happen also. Like, I think they're based on who's known to be coming back, who's known to be transferring the recruits they just signed and the people they've added from the portal. I think they're at like seven over the scholarship limit for next year. So obviously the coming year, the coaches know in some instances already know that a guy is out the door. It's just not public yet, but clearly they're expecting some attrition. So um, they're going to need that to get down to 85. But in, in one year's time, which again, is just kind of, kind of stunning to think about all that's happened in 12 months. They've gone from a program that I think was in danger of losing probably all of their key players at one time or another, certainly before Kalen DeBoer was hired to one that the guys want to come back and play for. And like Troy Fautanu said on, on Tuesday, you know, he didn't want to miss out. Um, and he made it seem like no matter what the NFL feedback was that, and I don't think he even got his from the college advisory committee, but um, no matter what the feedback was, he, he wanted to play one more year. And Braylon Trice, I think kind of put it pretty well too. He said, look, I, I just, I'm not done playing college football yet. You know, like I want, I want, I'm just looking forward to playing another year of college football. And it, so it can't be overstated. Like, College football is fun, you know, when you're when you're winning and you're doing really well and and you're beating your rivals and you're you're putting up huge numbers and and giving yourself a chance to play for conference championships even though that didn't work out this year. Um it's fun and there's a certain element to it that you're not going to get in the NFL. I I remember talking to Levi Onzerike who it's easy to forget cuz COVID wiped it out, but he he had decided to return for his last year in 2020. Yep. If that had been a normal season, they'd have had a full year of Levi Onzerike, and, and Elijah Molden made the same decision. And I remember asking him kind of why, and he said, yeah, you know, I was talking to Greg Gaines. He's another guy who, who played, you know, exhausted his eligibility before going pro, and he kind of told him, like, hey, the NFL locker room is nothing like college. You know, it's a business, and it's awesome because, you know, you get paid a bunch of money, and you're doing you're doing what you love for a living, and that's great, but he said there, there's nothing like the college experience. There's nothing like the college locker room. And if if you can make it work for yourself um, and you got a chance to go do that one more time, like he, he strongly recommended, like, hey, stay in school, go play one more college season because you're never going to have anything that compares to that experience again. 
And I think some of these guys are kind of realizing that in the moment. We also have, so the guys who have just finished their fourth year of eligibility, right? Like their fourth year on campus, they were the ones that came in and had 2019, which must feel like like a, a half a season or not even that, right? Like it's it doesn't really count. And then the next year, was was 2020 normal in your mind? Was 2020 a normal year? 2021? Oh, yeah. That, yeah, 2021. Was 2021 a normal year? It, it probably felt more normal to those guys. Uh, you did have... I mean, you, you had the like different rules for vaccinated versus unvaccinated still. There was no you know, no limitations for capacity at games, but um, there were vaccination requirements or testing requirements. I know our access wasn't normal. Yeah. So from, from have, my perspective, have, it, fe- it felt kind of fake normal, you know? Yeah. Because, and I had my years off. This was season three post-COVID. Like, this was the third season that players had played after the COVID pandemic. And the first one was an entirely abnormal season with no fans. The second one is the people were back in the stands. There were different rules for vaccinated and unvaccinated players. But this past year was the first normal season, right? Where, where you had, where Husky stadium was loud. Like it was Husky stadium loud at any point in 2020. Uh, I wouldn't say or so. 2021. Yeah, the loudest was when I was howling in disbelief when uh, they punted against Oregon. The Montana section was loud. <laughs> so if you're a Washington player, I, I I think that does matter. You didn't get the college like the college football experience in 2020 and certainly 2021 that you thought you were. 2020, you don't you play half a schedule. You can't even end up playing the Apple Cup because of all of the because of the outbreak of of COVID. And then 2021, you get out there and your season was a disaster and it wasn't, it wasn't normal in addition to how poorly it played out. So I can, I can see those guys wanting like, hey, it's different than it would have been 10 years ago where you're like, hey, we've had three pretty good years and this has been a good run. I might go ahead. Like there's a chance of like, okay, I, I, I might have a really unforgettable fourth season like this next year might be really kind of the 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 year that i had hoped to get and i don't want to miss out on that it's it's kind of funny to think like both odunze well odunze mcmillan fautanu and trice all have eligibility through 2024 actually so i i think everyone's you know with every one of those guys you're probably looking at 2023 as the the last hurrah there's certainly no reason to expect any of them to stick around for their final year but because of covid those guys all still have 2 years of eligibility left the eligibility thing's going to be funny it, it already is eligible. fun did you see um Cam McCormick the Oregon tight end who got granted an 8th and ninth year 8th and ninth hey I have fun, man. Like if that's I, I've got, I've got no qualms with that. I've, I've got absolutely no qualms with that. I think what he said uh, in the in the Oregonian article, I think he even kind of said like, yeah, I, I, I don't think I'm going to be here for the ninth year, but you know, I applied just to get it. <laughs> Why not? Why not? Uh, one guy who ZTF mentioned him as he was kind of listing off guys who had decisions to make when we talked to him a couple weeks ago. Who I don't kind of had a, a tweet that indicated that he was coming back. And I haven't heard anything to suggest that he, he isn't, but it's kind of going under the radar is Edifuan Yulafoshio. Mm-hmm. Because this will be his sixth year. You know, he's had some injury stuff. At one time was thinking, or one time it appeared at least, like, hey, maybe maybe he'd have a chance to go to the NFL. He, he hasn't played enough the last couple of years probably to make that happen. But he's one who's a – that's a little bit under the radar, but, like, you know that assuming he's coming back that's a pretty big deal too yeah they need as much as they can get back on the defense that they need to add to it the there is a question i have and maybe maybe ztf's a good a good spot to bring it up how good is ztf and and i say that because i don't want to have some sort of referendum of like overrated or underrated or anything like that but this past year he was a rotational pass rusher right and before that, I would have said, I think ZTF is one of the best pass rushers in the conference. I don't know if that's necessarily true. And some of that could be he's coming back from an injury, a very serious injury, and he came back relatively fast, right? 
but I, I do, I do have that question, Christian. What's, what's your sense of is, is, is ZTF part of the group or is he one of the top pass rushers on the team? Well, he certainly will be next year. And I think you can expect him to start next year. Um, I, he always needed to get better against the run. Mm-hmm. And he kind of acknowledged that himself in the off season and, Eric Schmidt, his the, the edges coach, has has said that as well. I think this year, I mean, shoot, you, he had two first team All Conference pass rushers a, ahead of him, and of course, yes. you know, then that goes to your question, like, well, so why wasn't he one of those guys? Um, Jeremiah Martin emerged and had the kind of season that I don't think anybody saw coming, even if he hadn't been a guy who was going to get eight and a half sacks and be like the top three in the conference in that category. He was always their best run defender on the edge. So he was always going to have to play a lot. And then Braylon Trice just blew up, you yeah. know, and they had kind of the previous staff had sort of foretold that, you know, Ikaika Malloy came out and raised some eyebrows saying like, this guy's going to be, you know, he could be even better than Joe Tryon. Um, but, you know, you, you, I think they had three guys. They felt like we're really good pass rushers and, you know, he only got two spots. So. I do think maybe some of his inconsistency or lack of production against the run was, you know, maybe made that a little bit easier decision because Trice is further along. I think he's a more balanced player. Um, but this will be his second year in the system. Obviously, he thinks highly enough of the coaches to come back for, man, there was one guy you could circle on this team that, hey, this guy is going pro. There is no way he's going to use that sixth year. Before this season, it was ZTF. Yeah. I mean, he even he was talking like it was a decision to come back for one year, and so to to have someone who is in that state of mind go the other way. I mean, that doesn't happen a lot, you know. Usually, when you've made up your mind, this is it. Like this is it. But I think he realizes that there is an opportunity next year to start opposite Trice. Now they can have you know two guys who are you know who were, where pass rush is their strength. Um, you know, kind of complement each other. So will he be, you know, will he make those improvements against the run to turn himself into a, you know, really well-rounded player who could be a, a first-team all-conference guy? We'll see. But I still think the the athletic ability and the explosiveness is there. And, and you know, even this staff, like they talked about him, they, they talked about a top three all season. They talked about how how difficult he was for the tackles to deal with going back to camp. So I think they see it. I, I think they they believe he can be that kind of player. Um, it could just be. You know, he needed he needed another year and, you know, maybe he'll turn into the poster boy next year for, you know, why you do use that extra year of eligibility rather than going pro even when you really want to. That 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 question of what what happens to players, I I wondered watching him, I think he got bigger in part because he wanted to be better against the run. And I wondered if that muted his biggest strength, which is the speed coming off the edge. Um, I'm still still really hopeful for him. But it is, we always assume that a player's trajectory is sort of at least a linear growth and development and improvement, if not exponential. And that's not the way it always works out. Like, I remember the way I thought about Azim Victor, and he obviously had a really serious injury as well that changed it. But that the, the assumptions we make about what kind of player a guy is going to wind up being isn't we don't always get that forecast right. And that can be disappointing on a number of levels, probably mostly for, for the players themselves. Yeah. And you know, it was, it was easy to, to kind of project his future that way when he had seven sacks in the first three games of the 2020 season, you know, like that was those three games were as explosive of pass rush tape as, as anybody at Washington, you know, had, had put together in a long time. You know, maybe since Hauli Kikaha. So and I think Braylon Trice went out and, and put together a whole season that was that was pretty impressive. I think didn't he like lead power five in pressures or something this year? Yeah. So you know he was really good. And he, so I don't want it to be like, what's wrong with it? Because you, you had some really good players and that's not like it was they didn't have anybody there and ZTF couldn't fulfill it. But it is it's it's an interesting it'll be interesting to see how how that part plays out because they should have they they should be st- still pretty well stocked to have those those two edge players coming back to have to have trice and and ztf that should be a strength of their team next season yeah and then you add joe moore from arizona state behind them who's played a lot of of college football at the power five level 
Yeah, I think he he steps right into the rotation. I'm interested to see where Zach Durfee fits in, the transfer from the University of Sioux Falls, from Kalen DeBoer University, coming over from South Dakota. We got that South Dakota. Do you think he was mad about the quarterback? So he's like, I am not letting anyone else take anything <laughs> out of South Dakota. Like, I, I'm going to plant my flag here. All things South Dakota will be headed toward the University of Washington. It's funny because DeBoer was asked yesterday, like, you know, you see, you see that you took a guy from your alma mater, and you you just instantly assume like, oh, he must have you know known this kid from when he was a baby, and you know his grandpa knew his dad, and all the like. No, like DeBoer didn't even assume he would be a player when he saw him go in the portal. I think he's I think he saw the name and was like, oh, Sioux Falls, wow, okay, and didn't think much of it. And then Courtney Morgan, their director of player personnel, did the evaluation and was like, hey, uh, you need to look at this kid, like this this might be a take for us. You know, he's, he's pretty explosive and he's got the measurements. He's six, five and two fifty, I think um, was a high school quarterback and basketball player who they, they recruited to Sioux falls and, and sold him on becoming a pass rusher. So he spends, he red shirts in 2021 bulking up, getting bigger, kind of remaking his body to play on the D line and then goes out and has 11 and a half sacks as a redshirt freshman. And he had those 11 and a half sacks, over the span, I mean, he played the whole season, but he had those 11 and a half sacks over the span of like four games. It's like he had four in one game, he had three in one game, and then like two and a half and two in, in a couple others. So I mean, he had four games where he just like exploded as a pass rusher. And uh, they, yeah, they like his athleticism. He'll have three years of eligibility left. Um, and that'll be, uh, you know, interesting to see how he factors in. Is, is he still so raw that it'll be those top three guys getting most of the snaps to, you know, is Savelle Smalls going to be a factor there? Um, you know, or, or can Durfee kind of step into that number four role and, and be part of the rotation? They got some, they got some raw athletes at edge rusher, which I think unless you can get like the really proven, like top recruit at that position, that's kind of, that's kind of what you do, right? You go, you go find the athlete, you go find the body type and, and hope that you can kind of make him into something. Their biggest needs were in the secondary, and it seems like that's where they got the bulk of their. You mentioned the Oklahoma State uh, corner, who's going to be, be coming over. They that seems like it was an area not just of focus, but of opportunity for for players looking for. Hey, this is a really good team, and I might get on the field pretty quick. Yeah, this is a big pickup, Jabbar Muhammad. I mean, I think I think they just added their you know a, a starting corner for the season and it was easy to look at their signing day hall and they've got five high school guys and a junior college guy Thaddeus Dixon who you might expect to contribute sooner rather than later because he's he's a little bit more experienced um but there still was nobody from the portal and that was that was what they needed like they needed to go get someone who is who has played ideally somebody who has started and who can step in and and give you some experience because they you know they they just don't have like two surefire starters coming back. I think you feel okay about Michelle Powell. He's got starting experience and you know, he's been beaten a couple times too, but like when he was hurt and then came back, you, you saw an uptick out there on the edge, right? Like you, you saw that he could make tackles in space. He, he was a little bit more of a playmaker than what they've been working with. So um, I think they really liked him from the get go. I would expect him to, to start next year, but uh, opposite him, uh, I'd be really surprised if it's not Jabbar Muhammad at this point. I mean, just based on what he's done, guy who played 830 snaps at a Power 5 school this year, like, that's exactly what they needed. When you look at DeBoer as a recruiter, is, and, and here, I'll, I'll kind of set up my sort of archetypes of what, what recruiters, what I see of college football, the different flavors of college football recruiter. Steve Sarkeesian is along the line of best talent available like very focused on sort of the upside. And it's not that he's devoted to the, the, the talent rankings or like the blue chip, but he definitely gravitates like bring me difference makers. Like all things being equal, I want, I want the most talented athletes that we can get here. And coming from USC and that being his background before he got to Washington, that made sense. Chris Peterson is clearly very different, which is very selective, has an idea of the, our guys like uh, OKG, that they didn't make the breadth of offers. Tyrone Willingham 
it's it's hard to evaluate, but I see him as an even like he's a terrible version of Chris Peterson's sort of recruiting. Like just like it's that sort of sense. But it was like, dude, you're not you're not at Stanford or Notre Dame. Like you can't you can't that pitch that gets an athlete to Stanford is not going to get anyone to choose the University of Washington. Like that's that's not that's not the kind of kid that 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 goes there. And it's not to 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 besmirch people that went to my fine institution, but you're recruiting a different kind of player and offering a different kind of experience where new Heisel and, and I, I always say this, I love new Heisel cause I do, but man, he was just the smoothie, smoothiest smoother possible. Like just the, like he's the used car salesman of all. Like if Sark was someone who was like kind of, on the edge, wanting to, we're going to get the best athletes we can here. Like Rick Neuheisel was the guy I can talk my way into any player. Like I can talk my way into anyone. And where does DeBoer like what 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 kind of recruiter do you think he is? Uh, I think he wants to be really aggressive, and not really aggressive in the sense that you know they're going to be just banging down the door on guys who are committed until the very end just for the sake of being aggressive yeah. and and you know putting forth effort but like i think he gets that recruiting is work uh-huh. and and they're they're not going to be outworked for guys okay and i think they're going to use their resources wisely and you know again not i don't think his idea of working as hard as possible at recruiting is just like blasting off 100 text messages every day to every guy you've ever made contact with but um you know, I I think he I think he makes stat. It, I think there's a balance because he he's not he is not ever going to want anybody on his staff who isn't a really good teacher and like developer of of football talent. But I don't think he's ever going to make a hire without recruiting in mind. I mean, I think one of the first questions he's going to ask of any position coach or potential position coach he's looking at is, okay, what's this guy's recruiting track record? You know, as I'm talking to him. What kind of a recruiter do I think he could be? Does he have the personality for it? Like, I think that stuff's all really important. And then, you know, when when you run um, when you run a program in a way that that has people wanting to work for you, which I think he he's proven that he kind of does, you can do something like hire Courtney Morgan away from his alma mater while it's in the college football playoff to come run your recruiting operation. <laughs> You know, like that just told me how hard Jim Harbaugh is to work for Christian. Yeah, yeah. that's that's that little asterisk. asterisk But you're right. I mean, that that is like in retrospect, you want to talk about one of the biggest signs of the caliber of coach that you're getting in Kalen DeBoer is that they hired Courtney Morgan from Michigan. Yeah. And that guy has all the connections. Yeah. And he knows everybody. And he's a really good evaluator. And, and I mean, you talk about work, work ethic. And DeBoer kind of outlined it a little yesterday. He's like, you go into his office, he's pretty much always, he's got the phone, he's, he's got the phone on his desk on speakerphone talking to somebody. He's got his iPad up in front of him watching film. He's doing three different things all the time. He's always, he's always on, he's always grinding. And so when, when you hire those sorts of people to run your operation, like, that's how you set the culture and that's how you set what the expectation is going to be for recruiting. And so like as a head coach, he's in a position where he just doesn't have to worry about the board being set and the foundation being laid. Um, you know, when the day comes when Courtney Morgan moves on to whatever's next for him, cause he's really talented and it's going to be in really high demand. Um, you know, we'll, we'll see kind of where they go from there, but I just, the the attention that he's paid to building out the recruiting department because it's not just Courtney Morgan. I mean, they have a excuse me, they have a director of scouting, they have a director of recruiting who's under him. They they have more full time personnel, and they're I think they're spending more money on those full time person full time personnel than they probably ever have. So it's the way he he allocates resources too that that just kind of sets the tone and sends the message that like, hey, this is really important, and it's something that that he's gonna he's going to pour money and he's going to pour resources into it's that's probably it's interesting like cuz i look at it as sort of the cult of personality of the coach like how does the coach recruit and that's probably that's an overly simplified way of viewing how it works at a modern university which is that yeah that's 
it reflects the head coach, but it actually reflects the head coach into the kind of people he puts in charge of it and the resources he gives them to to work on recruiting rather than sort of the the personality of the head coach dictating how they recruit. Yeah, and it, it, I'm interested to kind of hear some stories of him as a closer because that's usually what you think of the head coach as. Yeah. Right? Like on, on the big on the big prospects, maybe they take the lead. Like, you know, Rick Neuheisel was the lead recruiter on Reggie Williams. And yeah. For obvious reason. He wasn't, you know, he wasn't, wasn't going to let him get away. But, you know, I think that was Peterson was kind of the closer and, and he was pretty effective at it, too. I'm, I'm curious to kind of maybe hear some stories of, of what DeBoer is like in that role. Yeah. Coffees for closers, whether it's the, the Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. Have you seen that movie with Alec Baldwin? I've seen the, I, the I'm, I haven't seen it, but I'm familiar with it. <laughs> yeah. My watch costs more than your car. <laughs> Coffee? Coffee's for closers. Uh, I heard, have I told you about the, the voicemail message from Rick Neuheisel to Larry Stevens? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I've heard that one. <laughs> The fact listening to Neuheisel like say to him, You you won't be the true number one unless you go to the University of Washington. That's when you're gonna be the true number one. And and Larry Larry was a monster player. Like and he was as as high profile he was every bit as high profile as is it Tumalau? Is am I saying his last name right? Uh Tui Malowau. Tui Malowau, uh from Eastside Catholic who went to Ohio Ohio State. Like Larry Stevens was every bit that level of, of recruit. And and hearing like Neuheisel where you're like, oh, this is just corny. Like, I don't know. But but Neuheisel did, man. He closed on guys. Reggie. And then he went into Florida and got three guys from the same high school, which was bizarre because nobody ever came out of like the idea that you were going to go into. I think it was Jacksonville and fish out Charles Frederick, who is one of the top rated recruits in the entire country, as well as Rich Alexis, who was had been there before. And the kicker uh, who was a pretty good kicker. By the way, it was it was very funny. I, it'll be interesting to see. I, I I guess I look forward to the stories as well as what DeBoer's like as a closer. They need to go to Florida for more kickers. <laughs> John Anderson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's always weird to me when the kicker ends up on scholarship. <laughs> I hold the scholarship kicker to a higher standard than I do like just a, going out there and trying to kick, which probably isn't fair. There's a lot made about like what a crapshoot quarterback evaluation and recruiting is I mean, so you know so many five-star guys out of high school who just didn't pan out their skills didn't translate to the college level and who could have seen it coming everyone thought they were going to be a star i think that high school kicker evaluations are even more of a crapshoot because like there are you know chris sailor is is kind of the kicker rankings guy he, he runs the the big kicker camp and he he puts together his rankings of who the best kickers are each year and I mean, there's always guys who are so highly rated and they've, you know, oh, they can kick from this far and, and their high school numbers. This is what doesn't make sense to me are the guys who were like really accurate in high school and then get to college and they aren't. Yeah. And it's like, well, but it's the same distance. You weren't using a tee to kick field goals in high school, right? Like you were, they, they place hold, right? Just like you do in college. The goalposts are the same width. What 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 changed? Why could you know? Like some guys just don't make that leap. Whether it, is it the pressure? Is it? I mean, is there, there just something about kicking in college that's different? And it just seems like it's it's so you just never know what you're getting in a college kicker, even if he's a surefire scholarship guy who like every big program wanted. It's weird. What do you think the reason is? Um, I can give you my working theory. I got to think it's mental. Doesn't it have to be mental? I would, my, my, yes. And I think it would relate to the speed of the operation, which is a hilarious piece of verbiage that gets into the operation. Yeah, like, Ryan Grubb is big on the operation, by the, <laughs> the way. Operation. He's a big operation which, guy. Which basically refers to the snap, the hold, and like the, the timing of it. Like how long you go from snap to foot on ball. Like that's the operation um, that the speed comes up you also have bigger dudes up in front of you, right? Like that's the, and that the ability to get trajectory on the ball and clear the line, like it does change a little bit. Like you've got bigger dudes, like that's, it's more precise. So that would be my explanation is that that, that extra pressure has the effect on the, the actual performance and makes it tougher to, to project. But the, 
if you broaden that out, like just in general, to stars and athletic performance and how guys pan out, because in general, like I don't think that it is a lack of information that makes it so hard to project exactly how guys are going to do. I think it's more about some of it is is plain old chance and and how luck and fortune play into the development of confidence within an athlete and whether you get immediate positive feedback or negative positive feed or negative feedback immediately by failure kind of influences the way that you end up traveling and the, and the other part of it is just there's no way to project how someone is going to perform in a radically different environment than you've ever seen them. And I think that that is as true for recruit rankings as it is for NFL draft prognostication that you can't, you truly can't get an idea of how is a college player going to be when he's away from home and he's, he's determining his own bedtime and he's able to go out and do what he wants to do in a way that he never was before. He's got a level of status that comes with being on, on, on the football team. He's also got the pressure of not having someone that's, they have a lot of like tutors and like academic assistants, but there's a certain level of, of, of responsibility that's, that's going to be greater than they've, they've experienced before. And in the NFL, it's kind of like, okay, now you don't have anybody making sure that, that like you get your homework and the things that it takes to be a responsible, reasonable adult taken care of. You also have a lot of money. And that, that question of why, because people will say like, oh, it's, it's, they don't really know what they're talking about in terms of the analysts. I'm like, I don't think that's true. I think they actually have a lot of information and they make the best guesses possible. There's just such a variance in potential outcomes because of the nature of the enterprise. Well, in the NFL, I mean, if you miss a kick, Urban Meyer might kick you. So. <laughs> oh, God. That could, you gets imagine, under- could you imagine being a pay? And you know, maybe that kicker was making league minimum. I don't know. But it's possible he's like a millionaire, right, overall? Like this is a, this is a professional athlete who may well be worth seven figures or more. Could you yeah. imagine another grown man kicking you? You're a professional athlete, a well-compensated professional athlete. And the grown man head coach, who's much older than you, comes up to you and kicks you. Yeah. While you're stretching. Yeah. It's coaches. Allegedly, do some I wild... should say. Yeah, Allegedly, co- coaches do some wild stuff, man. And that when Latrell Sprewell choked P. Lake P.J. Carlesimo, like everybody was like, "Oh my God, he should be in jail." Like this sort of. But there was also a point of like, okay, but that coach, like, what did he actually say to that player? Because I can imagine, I can imagine a situation in which a verbally abusive coach and PJ coming from the college ranks takes that and says some things where you're like, okay, man, like, no one's going to talk to me that way. And I'm not saying that anybody should have been choked. I did think that they should have fired PJ and kept Latrell. But uh, that has to do with my whole opinion. But that that idea of what coaches are allowed to get away with and what they're allowed to say with, like, I mean, I guess it's where the breakdown to, like, commonplace professions just completely uh, doesn't apply at all. Because, yeah, can you imagine Urban Meyer kicks you? Hey, make the kick next time. I would lose it, dude. Like, yeah. Yeah. If my editor just came up to me and kicked me in the shin and was like, that second sentence wasn't AP style. What's yeah. wrong with you? It would get you to a point. Uh, are you familiar with the comic Aziz Ansari? Yes. So he, have you heard his bit about Madonna's tour bus driver? I haven't, no. <laughs> so he tells a story about talking to a guy and the guy was like, he was at, he'd done like tour bus driving uh, for rock, for musical acts. And he's like, okay, who's the craziest? Who's the who's the worst person you ever drove for? <laughs> and the guy's like, Madonna. And he's like, what? Like, that's the wrong answer. Like, you've driven for all these hard rock bands. Like, it can't be Madonna. And he goes up and explains that one of Madonna's dancers, when he was when he was driving the bus, every time would come and place a piece of genitalia on the bus driver's shoulder. Oh. And 
and the 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 bus driver explaining that eventually he got so sick of it and couldn't get anything done to stop it. And Aziz Ansari's punchline, which is not a homophobic sort of thing, but it was like, man, even if it was in your job that somebody could do that to your right shoulder and they started doing it to your left shoulder, like wouldn't that eventually put you to the punt, the, the point where you're like, all right, man, I'm not going to do this. This is intolerable. Like I can't, like you can't keep pushing this boundary. And I've always thought of that as like there is in any endeavor, there becomes that breaking point where no matter how much money you're making or how much status or prestige you have, there is something that a boss can do to make you say that like, I won't tolerate this anymore. And Urban Meyer kicking me if I was an NFL kicker might be that. Like it might be that equivalent for me where it's like, I'd take this if it was Bill Parcells. Like I'd I'd be willing to do this, but if it's Urban Meyer who – who, who we've all seen is an absolute jackass. Like, I, I'm, I'm not willing to take that from Urban Meyer. No, that would not be either. Parcells, I don't know. I don't know. A grown man kicking me. I, <laughs> I don't care who it is. I'm, I'm probably not putting up with that. And, let, you know, if we're like undefeated and going to the Super Bowl, maybe. <laughs> There's a price. Everybody's got a price. That's a million dollar man, Ted DiBiase, right there. Uh, have you looked at Texas much? Yeah, I have. What do you think? Texas is a loaded program. It's Texas, man. Yeah. I will always and forever consider Texas soft. (laughs) I do, and I'm sorry. And I know that there's going to be years like Texas is going to – I would hesitate to say Texas will always be more talented than the University of Washington. It doesn't mean that they will be a better football program. Texas is the – Texas is the strangest of all, like the top tier – so-called blue blood programs. There are guys that I talk to in the NFL who for years would say, we don't draft Texas kids. I don't like scouting Texas kids. Nobody with Seattle's front office right now, but in the past, and the entire rationale was they have too much done for them. They come out of that program. It's hard to call any football player coddled because of the physical demands of it, but the feeling that like they... Those those players come out with a different set of expectations than guys from other programs. And maybe I'm totally misguided and have bought into that. But the disconnect between how Texas sees itself, the rankings of the recruits that they routinely get, the performance of their like the 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 draft pedigree of the number of guys that get selected, and their actual performance on the field is crazy. Like they're not that good of a program. Yeah. They were close this year, and maybe that's the, you know, that that's the hill that Sark has to climb, right? Yeah, like wait, like pulling out those those really tough close games against good teams that he couldn't, he couldn't get to at Washington. Obviously, very couldn't. different situation with the talent they have, but at least he was close this year, right? Like he was never one point away from Oregon, and this year they lost to Alabama by one. I, I think that's a tough job, man. I think that's a tough job for a number of different reasons. Um. They are close and they are talented. I I think Washington's going to win this game because I think Washington cares more about being there. Uh, the Xavier Worthy is the name um, that I'm watching on the Texas side. Was a big time recruit. I think had signed with Michigan originally, if I'm remembering correctly. And there was a little bit of chatter that when he didn't end up going there, uh, it was a weird like. Did he enroll? Was he going to enroll? Was he going to go to Michigan? Was he going to go somewhere else? There's a little bit of chatter that Washington might have become an option for him at that point. But he ends up at Texas, had an amazing freshman year. Um, he's their leading receiver this year. I believe he's a sophomore. Um, just super talented and the kind of receiver that I think is going to give them fits in the secondary. So, yeah, obviously, they're shorthanded at running back. They don't have Bijan. Robinson, they don't have Roshan Johnson. Um, they their top linebacker opted out. Um, Demarvin Overshone, Demarvion, Demarvin Overshone. Um, but they still got some dudes, and the, so I think the passing game is uh, is is going to be key. Nequin Ewers, he's had some okay games this year. His numbers don't blow you away. I think he's been a little bit inconsistent, but I mean, you do wonder. You know, at some point the 
the five star number one overall talent uh, is is going to be a problem for Washington defending that. I I, I do agree. I, I think I'll probably pick Washington, and we can pick the remaining Pac-12 bowl games here in a minute. Texas is still favored by three and a half or four points or so, um, which I think does just speak to the kind of the perception of of their talent. So different challenge for Washington that way. But um, if you if you're taking the who wants to be there more litmus test and you know who's kind of got more momentum going into this off season as as little of Washington's momentum is actually focused on this game and like finishing finishing with the Alamo Bowl and and it's it's more been about recruiting and retaining NFL guys potential NFL guys and those sorts of things I mean I just think Washington's going to have its full roster it's going to have every you know nobody's opted out nobody's moved on um they they do seem to 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 kind of check that box and be the team that you would say maybe wants to be there more or is, is going to be more all in on this game. This is the opening statement for Washington's next season, right? Like this is the chance to plant the flag that Michael Penix is going to be a Heisman candidate favorite next year, that Washington is going to be an up and coming and should be ranked in the top 10. Like it's an important game in in that regard. Um, so yeah, I I think Washington's got a lot more on the line. Whereas I think, next year for Texas is going to be like, okay, that's, that's going to be the year where we see there's going to be a lot of pressure on Sark next year. I think there's going to be a lot of pressure on them to have uh, a a double digit win season, especially because they're going to the sec after that. Yeah. And it sounds like, uh, it sounds like they're going a year early now. I think we had, uh, we had a report maybe last week about that, that, it wasn't expected till 2025, but that now they're thinking 2024 could be it. So, because that's when they were going to be off. Like it wasn't going to be the same when the Pac-12, like no. when when USC and UCLA they were going to go to the Big Ten before Texas and Oklahoma went to the SEC. Yeah, yeah originally. Um, so, let me just go find that story that uh, like Stuart Mandel and Andy Staples and maybe. Maybe one other had that, that it is going to be a year early. So I don't know. I mean, does that, uh, yeah, Texas, Oklahoma are SEC bound in 2024. Texas, if they don't have, like if they don't win 10 games next year, I could see a situation where they're like, we need a new coach going to the SEC. If they don't get an over-the-hump kind of season from Sark, I could see that. Like, And I think that owes to the difficulty. I don't think that's fair. I don't think that's the right way to approach it, but I could see that kind of lens going through next season. Yeah, and you throw fair out the window when it comes yeah, to college football it's Texas. coaching. Yeah, especially in Texas. Deserves got nothing to do with it. <laughs> One of my favorite lines. I didn't realize that that did not originate with The Wire. Oh, I don't think I know that either. Where did it originate? I just read it. Scott Docterman, our Iowa writer, referenced uh, some old movie. Uh, Unforgiven. Oh, yeah. He does say that. Yeah. Yeah. Clint Eastwood movie. Yeah. That's a good Western, man. That's a dark Western. Character says, I don't deserve to die like this. And Eastwood says, deserves got nothing to do with it. Yep. So that was a callback. And I didn't even know. I don't know if David Simon would admit to that being a callback. Yeah. I mean, it but is I, just a universal truth. Deserve. There is no deserve yeah, in this true. world we live it's in. True. It's true. Uh, there are five Pac-12 bowl games left. Well, we already had the Beavers, who I believe were Florida's Florida's own web tw- Twitter account, like mislabeled their mascot. Did they say the Bears? Yeah. They were, I think they, they were trying to abbreviate to Beavs to type Bears instead. Oh, autocorrect got him? Uh, probably, yeah. They probably don't tweet beeves a lot. <laughs> Would just be my guess. They they put it on him, man. Beeves 30 to 3? Yeah, that was, I mean, geez, talk about teams that don't want to be there. Yeah. And then and then the Cougs, poor Cougs. That was that was a that was a that was a poor showing against Fresno State. Yeah, they uh had very few players left. After, well, maybe not very few, but they had a number of key uh, key guys who'd already gone on the portal. Their top linebacker, Deion Henley, sat out. Um, they had some other guys out with injuries. So, yeah, you could kind of see that one going that way. But that's a. Uh, you don't think the the luster of the Jimmy Kimmel Bowl 
like was 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 sufficiently uh, <laughs> l- lucrative to to attract them. I love I I love that that Jimmy Kimmel just like spends the whole week and game like mocking the game. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a weird. It's a weird. It shows you what you can do if you spend money. Yeah. What it? What if we give you this much money and then we just make fun of it all week? Yeah. Like, well, how much money are we talking about? And then they arrive at the price of like, how how much can I pay you to demean you all week? Did you see that, that on his show? Like, there was a there was a moment on his show, I think, where each team like was all together on video, and he like made fun of their logo, and was like, "Is this supposed to be a cougar? Because it looks like and I forget what he what he some other animal he compared it to." But I was like, "Man, Wazoo has like one of the best logos in sports." It does. It's because it's it's a W and S and a U, which I think a lot of people find out down the road. It's not like super apparent until you look at it closer. You're like, oh yeah, that does say WSU. The players should be able to clap back at him, right? Because that, like that's the one thing when I see some of the bits, you're like, Jimmy Kimmel's audience is not these players. No, like, and he's very clearly doesn't care about them. So why should they care about him? Like they're they're not getting they're getting the experience of playing in the bowl game, but like they're not the ones that are making the majority of the money off of this. Like I, I think one of them should have gotten mad at him about that and 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 been able to to clap back at him. I, I would enjoy that, seeing them rip on the host. Uh it is it is not even as a roast like we're in on the joke, but like shut your old ass up. Yeah, and I get that it's part of the bit and yeah, he's an entertainer and so being the center of attention is kind of his thing, but I don't know. I was watching the broadcast and him him going out with the bass clarinet and marching with the band and st- and you know making a big joke out of everything. It's just kind of like, are you getting a little embarrassed by this? Like, I think it- it's. I, I want to be clear. I think it's stupid, and I think that the bull game that does that, like the fact that they're willing to do that, I think it's lame. Like, I I don't. I think it's a disservice. They should take less money from someone who actually takes it seriously because. It's it's a disservice to the players. It's making an open mockery of it. Yeah, and it's not that I think that, like, this is a college football bowl game, and it is sacred, and this game used to be sponsored by Kraft, damn it, back when this actually meant something. Like, no, that's not my... But, but like, it is supposed to be a fun, memorable, like, rewarding experience for the players, and to have... You know, even the broadcast team, which, like, it was, it was, like, their A broadcast team. I think and the game aired on ABC... So it wasn't like it was stashed on, you know, some alternate channel or anything. But the, even the broadcast team just seemed to have like an open mockery about it that was kind of just a little bit off-putting. It's it's okay to have fun. It's the LA Bowl, you know. You're you're seven and five. It's you know obviously you're not like playing for anything really like tangible. But I'm sure you know the players all wanted to win and wanted to be there and. I don't know. Like, if I were the parent of a player watching that game, I'd have been, I'd have been probably a little bit pissed off. They're like, eh, this is like really, you know, like this, this matters a lot to the guys in the field, and you're kind of treating it like a joke. Yeah, I, I think that's, I think that's well said. Um, let's start with Oregon. Oregon against North Carolina. Did you see Dan Lanning last night? <laughs> I, uh, the, the cigar. Yeah, that was douchey. That was, that was lame. That was lame for entirely the reason of the cigar. I'm picking North Carolina. <laughs> you don't North even want Carolina. Know, you don't even want to know the spread. No. Well, it's Oregon by fourteen and a half. Yeah, that makes me even more confident, and I'm taking the points. All right. Uh, I'm going to take. Uh, I would pick Oregon uh, straight up, but I am going to take. I am going to take North Carolina to cover fourteen and a half. That's pretty healthy. This is microscope of this game. If you're an Oregon player and you see how excited your coach just got for all of the recruits and all of the impact that he made coming in, don't you feel a little bit like like you're kind of biding your time there? Isn't recruiting just fascinating that way? Yeah. That like, yeah, you 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 get recruited and you yes. have all these coaches telling you all the time, you know, what a difference maker you're going to be and and you know, you're you're never more important or more popular than when you're being recruited, right? And then you get there and kind of, you know, whether you're a really great player and and beloved or or not, like you kind of get to experience what the game is really like, and you know what how, how the business really works and stuff. And 
now you're watching as they're bringing recruits in and no matter how happy you are at your given program, there's got to be a sense of like, yeah, well, that's what they're telling you now, but just wait, you know? Yep. So like I, I thought that uh, Jed Fish and Kalen DeBoer both did this yesterday where they, they thanked their current roster for like the role that they played in recruiting, which I think coaches don't do enough because those guys have to host all those official visitors. Yes. And like, that's not really a choice. If the coach tells you like, Hey, you're going to be this guy's host. Like that's a responsibility, you know? And like, you're, you're representing the program and you need to be, you need to be telling them the right things and all this stuff. And in some cases, maybe you're hosting a guy who's so good that he might come in and compete with you for your own job the next year or two years down the line or whatever. So I don't know. It's a, it is, it's a, it's an interesting dynamic between uh, being recruited and then how you might view recruiting once you, uh, once you get onto a team. It's a dog eat dog world out there. Yeah. A doggy dog world, as Snoop Dogg might say. <laughs> I've come to the belief, would you, would you like it if Snoop ran Twitter? Uh, I mean, I wouldn't have anything against it. I can't say I put a lot of energy into caring who runs Twitter. I, I've, I've found myself like recently wondering what I think would be the funniest. Snoop Dogg running Twitter would be pretty funny. Yeah. He runs a lot of other things, doesn't he? Yeah, and he's generally like really funny. Like when he when he when it's time to like he did he's, Snoop Dogg Snoop Dogg will always entertain me. UCLA faces Pittsburgh in the Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl. Sun Bowl, El Paso. UCLA uh, is a three and a half point favorite. Over unders low on this, I think. Yeah, fifty four. I think I'd go over there. And I'm I'm taking UCLA only because Narduzzi's been whining. I'm going to take UCLA as well. Although I uh, I worry about them falling victim to the who really wants to be here competition. Jose Cuervo. Well, not even not even that necessarily. The players like a little secret. Like the Sun Bowl is actually a really nice experience for the players. And like everybody the media. says. Yeah, like everybody will say, like, oh, who wants to go to El Paso? Like, they actually pull out all the stops in that game because they they want to put the best foot forward. It's the antithesis of the Jimmy Kimmel Bowl. They kind of, UCLA kind of fits the bill, though, of that, like, they they had a really great start to the season. They were contenders. They fell out. They had the bad loss to Arizona, ended with a loss to USC. So it's like the teams that trend down into a bowl game typically don't come out and, Set the world on fire, but what the hell? I'm going with the Bruins anyway. Uh, we get, I'm, we voting, to, I'm voting strictly based on Narduzzi being a baby about NIL. That's fair enough. Uh, classic college football New Year's Six matchup here between USC and Tulane in the Goodyear Cotton Bowl Classic. USC is going to drub them, and I'm going to hammer the over. Over is 62 in that game. I think USC... USC is going to score more than 40 points in this game. Yeah, I think USC by two and a half is a silly point spread. Yeah. Uh, I would hammer that. Utah and Penn State in the Rose Bowl. The fight in Whittingham's. I'm going Penn State here. It's Utah by two and a half. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I, I know so little about Penn State. I just and not not that I know so little about them. I feel like they're the they're the one New Year's six like blue blood type program that I've heard the least about all year. They didn't have any really great wins. I watched them against Ohio State. They were in that game until the Buckeyes pulled away in the fourth quarter. I I don't know that I see anything like really special about them, but I mean it is a two loss Big Ten team. I'm 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 taking Utah. We have the Alamo Bowl, Texas by four. Dogs. Yeah, I'm taking Washington also. I, I'm going with the uh, who wants to be there more, who's feeling better about themselves. Dogs are going to look to announce their presence with authority, Christian. I don't know about that, but they might win. They're going to announce their presence with authority. <laughs> uh, what are you doing for Christmas? Uh, headed to Orange County. I think we're going to leave on uh, Saturday now. We were leaving on Friday and flying through Chicago, but that looks like it's going to be a fool's errand. So we've made a an audible call. We're going to fly out uh, 
Saturday morning to John Wayne Airport. Uh, spend the spend three days with the in laws. How are you feeling about uh, the odds that that's that's all going to go on schedule? On schedule, I would say sixty percent chance of that. I think we'll eventually get there by Christmas. I would I would give that a solid eighty five. If we were going through the Midwest as opposed to Newark to to John Wayne, I would say it was more coin flip. Um, but in general, like my. My experience with holiday snafus is traveling on Christmas Eve is actually pretty good. So I'm, I'm, I, I, I think, yeah, I think it's, I think we're going to be just fine. Famous last words. I, I wish you luck. All I got to do is drive to Longview. So I think we'll make it. Will you listen to Green Day on the way down there? I won't. I ain't nothing against Green Day. I like Green Day fine enough, but that, that, that... song is about Long, Longview, isn't it? Yes. Uh, well, it's about something else, but it, it is. <laughs> it is also about Longview, Washington. I believe that's been confirmed. That's that's the setting. That's one of those where growing up, like you heard a million different theories as to why, like why yes. they picked Longview. I think the one that stuck, and I'm not, I, I don't know that it's because it's accurate or true. Uh, but the one that stuck was that they like stopped there. They were on, they were on a tour. Maybe they were going from Portland to Seattle or Seattle to Portland, and they like stopped there. And we're just struck by how remarkably boring it was and thought, hey, I, you know, the only thing to do here is, you know, what they wrote the song about. So <laughs> happy holidays. <laughs> it's a. Uh, I think that, well, so I miss the days when we used to have urban myths that couldn't be immediately sought down and debunked on the Internet. Like I, I like trying to piece together and figure out if something was true or not. Like I, I generally like that because I remember hearing something that. Billy Joe had been living in Longview for a stretch of maybe a month or two and and that it was autobiographical. I've heard that one also, yeah. So it's just in general, it's very like I I I feel the world has become less interesting because we now have this established shared body of knowledge that can debunk all of those things. Uh, I felt it was better when you would have here's what I've heard, somebody else would tell you what they've heard, and you don't really have a way to resolve it. You're like something happened here, and we haven't gotten to the bottom of it. Like that's what gives you like the nuance of life. Yeah, and you could just decide what was true. Yeah, what sounds most realistic being true. Make up your own facts. I think between those two stories, the tour bus is more likely. I can't imagine a scenario where Billy Joe ended up in Longview for an extended period of time. And I just feel like that would have that would be like more well publicized. Yeah, it's not a lot of like major celebrities who have come from from Longview. <laughs> You've had a prolonged stop over there. Although I will say, I I went to middle school and high school. And was decently good friends with the original keyboard player for Imagine Dragons. He's from Longview. She is, yeah. No kidding. Uh, is that the most famous player from Longview? The most famous person from Longview? Um, probably not. Uh, Bud Black is from Longview. Okay. Um, trying to, uh, Jason Schmidt, the old, uh, he pitched for the Pirates and yeah, no. other teams. Rick He's Sweet. Not his, who's Rick Sweet? He was a major league player, also. Um. Uh. Well, Trevor Trevor May, who's a relief pitcher, he's from Kelso. Uh, yeah, if you count that. But yeah, uh, not 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 really. Uh, I come from Klamath Falls. I think the most famous person from there might be Dan O'Brien, the Dan and Dave decathlete. Oh, okay. Are you familiar with him? Vaguely. I think I win. I think you might. Bud Black. Major League Man, longtime Major League Manager. Brenda Backey. I know some people named Backey. I bet I bet that she was related to him. She apparently appeared in uh, L.A. Confidential. Oh. Un- Under Siege 2, Dark Territory. Uh, it looks like a Steven Seagal vehicle. <laughs> well, I can't believe I haven't heard of her. <laughs> the, the funniest, and this is because I went to high school in Santa Cruz. There was like a couple of years. I mean, it was like 10 years after I got out of the high school. Somebody was like Marissa Miller, the Sports Illustrated swimsuit model. She, they're like she went to our high school. I'm like, what? And I was like, there's no way. And they're like, yeah, she was there at the same time we were. I was like, I, I went to that school for three years. I was like, there is no way. And they told me what her like her name was before she was a model, and she was. She was a sophomore when I was a senior, which probably tells you everything to know about how horribly uncool I was. Like, had no clue, no clue at all. Um, he's not 
I wouldn't say he's from Longview, but he did attend Mark Morris High School in Longview for a time, and that was Doug Christie. Oh, what's Doug Christie doing down there? He's on the list. I don't know. Because uh, he, he he wound up playing at Rainier Beach, right? Yeah, yeah, he did. He was the first of the, the beach kids. Yeah, so uh, as Wikipedia says, he played eighth grade basketball at Cascade Middle School, same school that I went to, and then his freshman and sophomore years at Mark Morris High School. And it said he had moved to Longview to live with his father, who was a former Mark Morris track star named John Malone. So okay. He was there for a time. Get Don't know that you really say he's from there, but... All right. Well, now you got the... Uh, Christian has more famous people who have uh, trekked through his small little hamlet, which is on the civil side of Washington State, whereas me from the feral side of Oregon, uh, we, we just have egg kids and loggers. I'll be thinking about Doug Christie as we journey <laughs> down I-5 on, on Saturday. Happy holidays, everybody. Uh, enjoy however you celebrate. I can't, you know... We're going to try to do this every week during the off season. I can't promise we'll have one next week just with the holidays and everything. And I'm, I'm traveling, uh, but we'll, I don't know, maybe that, what do you think? Maybe that Monday. So I'm, I'm out of town until Tuesday night. All right. We're just going to shut it down then. We'll have a, a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. And we'll see you after the Alamo Bowl. Yeah. Let's, let's call it that. Enjoy the Alamo Bowl. Hopefully they score another 123 points. Happy holidays.